Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Wednesday, July 20th. Coming up, women from the Kansas City area tell their abortion stories. This is what it can look like, and this is what it can do for your life. If, if that's the path that you're on, that's the choice you want to make. Plus, we'll hear from the new leader of Kansas City Public Schools. But first, some headlines. The Metro is seeing another wave of COVID-19 infections. KCUR's Beck Shackleford-Wanganga reports. The Mid-America Regional Council reports that on average, nearly 500 people in the region are testing positive for COVID daily. And the CDC community transmission level for the Metro is high. Dr. Steven Stites from the University of Kansas Health System says people should not panic, but it might be time to start masking as a precaution again. If hospitalizations continue to trend up, and they're already up, if they continue to trend up, then we're going to have to be a little more thoughtful about our response. Stites says since a lot of people are testing for COVID at home, positivity rates are likely a lot higher than reported. He urges people to get vaccinated and boosted. North Kansas City Police Officer Daniel Vasquez died yesterday after being shot that morning during a traffic stop. He was 32 years old. North Kansas City Police Chief Kevin Freeman says Vasquez's death is unfathomable and that Vasquez served the department for two years. He was a shining star in our department. Um, he was easy to talk to. He didn't have an enemy. Everybody was his friend. Freeman says the suspect turned himself in and that this was the first officer death in the line of duty for his department. The Kansas City Police Department will investigate the shooting. Catholic organizations are providing millions of dollars to support an amendment that would remove the right to an abortion from the Kansas Constitution. Dylan Lyson of the Kansas News Service has more. The Archdiocese of Kansas City and Kansas contributed nearly $2.5 million to the Value Them Both Coalition. That makes up more than half the group's total fundraising of $4.6 million. Many other Catholic churches and groups also contributed to the campaign supporting the amendment. Meanwhile, Kansans for Constitutional Freedom raised $6.5 million for its campaign opposing the amendment, including more than a million dollars from Planned Parenthood. Early voting is already underway, and Election Day is August 2nd. After the departure of former Superintendent Mark Bedell, Jennifer Collier is the new interim leader of Kansas City Public Schools. She's been with the district for 22 years, serving as a teacher, principal, and deputy superintendent. She told KCUR's Steve Kraske how she plans to approach the job and the district's strategic plan, Blueprint 2030. Here's an excerpt of their conversation from Up to Date. I want to ask you about the strategic plan that the district is hard at work on. It's called Blueprint 2030, and it's this set of plans aimed at increasing academic achievement and enhancing student experiences. One that you found in the internal review you've undergone is that the Kansas City District is spending way too little money on instruction and way too much money on operational costs. How much is that due to the fact that, after all, you're running an inner-city school district that needs things like security that maybe you don't need in suburban school districts. Absolutely. I mean, there are definitely a, a lot more resources that we that we would need around transportation, around security and other things because we are an urban uh, school system. But I think I, I was happy to hear you kind of focus on the academic side of the Blueprint 2030 plan, because I think people have spent too much time focusing on the idea of closure and consolidation, which is a, a byproduct that will happen. But ultimately, what we want to do is make sure that, as, as you stated, we're driving our resources 
back into the classroom and providing opportunities that are commensurate with what our students' peers are receiving across the state and across the country. How, how difficult a shift is that to make to pivot uh, and to spend more money on instruction than you have been? It is challenging, and it's particularly tra- challenging when we have um, when we look at our enrollment, and then we look at the number of buildings that we currently have open. And so those resources are spread very thin, and opportunities are not as ample as they should be because we're trying to serve so many buildings. And it also impacts our staffing. I mean, we're in a season, as we all know, it's no secret. There's a teacher drought across this country, and so as we consolidate and close schools, that helps us with some of our staffing issues because right now we have to make sure that we have at least baseline staff in every building, but our enrollment doesn't really support the fact that we have all of these buildings open. And so we're going to continue to work to increase our enrollment. We're not going to just be satisfied that enrollment's declining because we believe that we're offering a a great uh, educational experience in KCPS that's going to only improve through this Blueprint 2030 process. And so as you pointed out, that's led to this conversation about the number of buildings because there's a need to consolidate resources here. Let's talk about the different scenarios that Blueprint 2030 lays out. Under one scenario, you would close 10 elementary schools and maybe three high schools. Under another, it would be just a few uh, fewer elementary schools, just two high schools. Under a third scenario, it'd be just three to six elementary schools and one high school. So the district needs to close schools to begin with. Why? Just to consolidate those instructional, the, the instructional focus? Yes, I mean, primarily, once again, so that we are able to provide um, a full, uh, well-rounded education in all of our buildings. Right now, we have some schools that don't offer some courses, and others do, and we know that that's not equitable. We want to make sure that all of our schools are have the same opportunities provided for students. And uh, if, if we consolidate, then we're able to achieve that. So so that's part of the reason why we're looking at the those closures. But when you look at those three scenarios, one of the things that we've aimed to do is to really get out in our community and to hear from our community um, on those scenarios, um, to understand what is our community's appetite for us moving forward. We we don't want it to be a KCPS administration only decision. Mm -hmm. It's really important to us that we're hearing from our community members, our parents, or even our students around what they want to receive, what is it it that they value, what's important to them, and depending on which scenario we go with, what is it that you'd like to see happen in your school? If we can't go as far as, as the scenario where we're closing more schools, then what are the things that are it's imperative that you see happening in your schools? We want to make sure that we fully understand that and are able to, to achieve that for our community. You know, you're being very direct with your stakeholders because you're 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 saying to them that hey, the more schools we close, the more instructional option options we can offer to our students. So there's a very clear trade-off and a decision point that everybody has to make here. Absolutely. We know that school closure is not easy. We know that it's, um, there are a lot of emotional ties to buildings for various reasons. And so we are sensitive to that. And so we want to make sure that um, as we make, we're making these decisions that, um, that we're thinking all of that through, but we're, uh, we're making decisions that are going to be best to serve the students within our school system. And so it's important to us that we are clearly communicating, conveying um, all that's at stake in, in this process and all, and all that we are hoping to achieve through this process so that as we make decisions, as community weighs in, that they are informed and that we reach a a place of, um, I guess, a conclusion or a final solution and everyone can be comfortable with it. Everyone may not be happy with every decision, but we want people to at least understand the why behind some of those decisions we've made. That was Kansas City Public Schools Interim Superintendent Jennifer Collier and KCUR's Steve Kraske. 
Today, we begin the first in a series of segments on Kansas City women telling their abortion stories. Lauren Conaway is founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC, a group that supports women leaders. She told Steve Kraske on Up to Date how a medical issue led to her getting pregnant and why her life circumstances led her to terminate the pregnancy. You were on the birth control pill when you found out that you were pregnant. Had you missed the pill or how did how did that happen? Yeah, so something really interesting happened uh, when I went to the OBGYN at, at Planned Parenthood. They had asked me, you know, are you on the pill? And I responded, yes, of course. Uh, and they told me that I was pregnant and I, I was just dumbfounded. So they asked some follow up questions. And he, what the doctor said, he, he asked me, you know, when you take your placebo week, when do you start your period? And my answer was on Tuesday. And he was like, no, no, that's not right. <laughs> that's not how that's supposed to happen. You're what we call a fast metabolizer. And so I had been taking so the doctor knew right. Away. The doctor knew right away. He was like, no, 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 you're not supposed to start your, you know, your cycle or start your period until, you know, several days after that. Um, and so it was the first clue and it was already too late. So what were those emotions like when you heard those words that you're pregnant, Lauren? Um, I was absolutely just gobsmacked. Um, I think my, my first emotion was surprise. And then very, very quickly, I started falling down into this this terror vortex. Uh, you know, what do I do? I'm not prepared. I'm not ready to be a mother. I'm not ready to carry a child. And so so first first emotion was almost like a lack of emotion, just this surprised numbness. And then, like I said, very quickly, it just became just absolutely horrifying for me. How far along were you? Uh, I was I was almost two months, near as we could figure. In those two months that you didn't even know that you were pregnant, had you noticed any changes, any differences in your in your body? Absolutely. My my first tip off that there was something wrong. Um, I, I was very very sick, and as in you know within that about a month long period, I actually lost about twenty pounds. I couldn't keep food down. I couldn't keep water down. I couldn't sleep. But you weren't thinking pregnancy. I wasn't thinking you pregnancy. I was thinking I was thinking something else. But in later years, like you know, Kate Middleton, uh, she went through something called I, I want to say it's hyperemesis gravidarum, which is it's extreme morning sickness and it happens throughout your your pregnancy and it just yeah. makes you so sick. And I like in retrospect, you know, hindsight being 2020, as I watched her story unfold, I was like, huh, is that what I had? You know, is that what I was dealing with? Because I was so, so sick. Mm. So what was going on in your life at the point that, that you made this decision at, that factored into what you were deciding to do here? Well, uh, I, I had been dealing with a lot. Um, I had recently had a nervous breakdown. Um, you know, I, I was in college and uh, I was dealing with a lot of trauma from my, I guess, my more formative years. Um, and and I was not making good decisions. Um, I had a nervous breakdown. I had been trying to find my place in the world. I was just so lost. I didn't have a really strong support network. I was, I had no money. <laughs> um, you know, I had no no strong social safety nets in place to to help me get through this. And so I just, I felt so alone and so raw from everything that I had been going through. Um, you know, I just, I very quickly and 
maybe not easily, but uh, I came to the decision that, you know, I'm not in a position to be a mother, nor am I in a position to carry a child. You're now successfully the founder and you're the CEO of Innovate Her KC. Given all that you said you were going through, do you think you'd be in the same position if you were forced to have a baby at that very difficult point in your life? Absolutely not. Um, the the only reason that I have been able to find some semblance of normalcy and mental health and put some of those strong support networks in place and really work on myself is because I, I was free to do so. Um, you know, at the time that I found out I was pregnant, I was in the early throes of a pretty serious drug addiction and uh, would later go to, to to rehab. And and there, you know, going through intensive therapy and, and, you know, trying to learn about myself and come up with healthy coping mechanisms, I don't believe that any of that would have been possible if I had also been tasked with raising a child. You know, someone might be looking at you right now saying you've been so successful and, and they'd be very surprised by the story you're telling here today, Lauren. Yeah, uh, people people are kind of surprised, but I, I truly believe that everyone has the capacity to better themselves and to evolve. And one of the reasons that I find it so imperative that I tell this story is because I I don't necessarily want to be the face, but I feel an obligation to be a face of of abortion. You know, this is what it can look like and this is what it can do for your life. If if that's the path that you're on, that's the choice you want to make. So those who are anti-abortion might hear your story. They might feel sympathy for your plight. Then they might look you in the eye and ask, why not have the baby and just give it up for adoption? I feel that that is absolutely a, a valid path if that's the path that you want to take. Uh, first things first, though, I I would say that people who don't agree with abortion, most of them are not that sympathetic to my plight. Sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's OK. We we all make choices that, that work for us in the time and space that work for us. But I, I would I would say to them, you know, forced birth. Not not an option for some. I mean, I cannot express to you how sick I was and how unprepared I was to take nine months out of my life yeah. and 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 deal with the repercussions of all of these horrific things that were happening in my my mental, physical, emotional being. Yeah. You know, I just I, I was staring down a nine month long um fear factory and I just I I couldn't do it and if that if that is not a choice you would have made okay that was local entrepreneur Lauren Conaway and KCUR's Steve Kraske this is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love, Trevor Grandin, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, and to hear Steve Kraske's entire conversations with Jennifer Collier and Lauren Conaway on Up to Date, visit kcur.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. 